of the world and welcome to another episode of Pits and Giggles, the show where we go romping in our fluoro socks and mullets down through the back catalogue <laughs> of Gen X and Y music, memories and mischief. And uh, today this episode is all about your first time or our first time. <laughs> Whose first time? It's about what was the first album that you ever owned. We're going to be hearing from many of our audience as we journey into the depths of Nostalgia Town today. So joining us at the helm of this ship of fools is Daryl Baronia Sight and Sound Munson. <laughs> we have Peter Brashes All The Way, baby, Lucullus. And I'm Jules East Burwood, Kmart for the win. <laughs> So, this is a very special episode where we have put the call out across the social media of the interwebs to find out what was your first album that you ever owned and any of the associated stories and memories that you have around that. It's been an absolute treasure trove, so thank you so much to everybody who has contributed. Daryl, would you like to kick things off? Well, yeah, I guess I, I think... I. I've worked out that basically my sort of starting of musical um, influence was definitely around 1980. So um, everything, you know, I must have been, what, 10 or 11 at that point. So it was when I must have just realised that music was out there. And so, you know, I, I mentioned another another episode that I, my first album, I think, that I sort of bought for myself was the ZZ Top Eliminated, which was about 1981 or something like that. But this this um, this post, especially um, Pete's one, had a lot of things that I, that I um, related to, like... Uh, Amanda mentioned Kiss Unmasked. Oh my God! I just listened to that again after we had a bit of a discussion about that. Oh, it, it's it was so good, and you know it's just eighties Kiss, but whatever. Um, and, and, and I think we've talked about this before. I didn't know. I thought I owned every Kiss album, but clearly I didn't. I only had two albums. Or whatever. <laughs> and Kiss Unmasked was one of them, and, and Dynasty was the one before it, um, which which was really really good. Um, but um, Unmasked was great and I thought at the time oh my god I'm going to see them Unmasked I was really excited and I didn't I <laughs> <laughs> didn't still know what they look like <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly the that, cover of the, yeah, go go, no, I was going to say the cover of that album is this comic right and, and at the end, they take off their masks and it's they're still painted underneath. That freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They turn. She, she sort of like, she, she, she watches them take off their mask and they walk out of the, the dressing room and she calls them and they turn around and they've got their mask on in their civilian clothes sort of thing. And like, yeah, that was a bit ghostly and weird, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit macabre. They all touched me as a kid. Yeah, yeah, that was scary. And there was that live album cover with the, like, Gene Simmons was like, blood coming out. Yeah, it was yeah. like... Yeah. But the music is so not like what they look like. Oh, the music is glammy, disco-y, cheesy <laughs> shit. And that was the thing. Great, good. <laughs> that was the thing. I mean, I think they were a little bit more hardcore in the earlier days, and they went a bit hardcore in different things, but that era was like, they were just, they're constantly trying to, you know, get in with what's going on at the time. And they went into disco at that point, and, and, and it was it was, a, it was very weird and glammy. But um, I watched the, the video clip for Shandy, which was the big single off that album. <laughs> And it's and it's just like this, you know. It's very what is it? It's like yeah, lounge lizard sort of, you know, very very sweetie <laughs> sort of stuff, you know. And and here's Gene Simmons, you know, going ah, you know, doing all this stuff while singing Shandy. It just looked ridiculous. <laughs> it was utterly ridiculous. But I love it because I love the song, and I've been singing that freaking song all week. It's, it's been in my head because it just gets in, and you know, it's one of those songs that got in in the eighties and it's never left. When we should say. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Mm. 
So, um, yeah, I've had a bit of a run on Kiss lately, so that's been really fun. Um, yeah, thanks, Amanda. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, I think Trevor mentioned uh, Motley Crue's Too Fast for Love, and I would never really have listened to that album, but um, he also mentioned, what was it, Sight and Sound in Baronia Mall, which just sends shivers up my spine because I hate Baronia Mall. I used to live in Baronia. I just, oh, I just freaking hate it. So, you know, the eastern suburbs boy in me is trying to escape. But um, I also went and saw Motley Crue um, at some point, and it was a really good show. It was really good fun, and, you know, Tommy Lee did the whole drumming, spinning, drummer, drum set thing, and it was it was really good fun. But, um, yeah, some of their albums were a bit dodgy, and I think, um, as you said, Jules, you heard Live Wire, and it was like, oh, yeah, wasn't their best song off that album. Was you know That was the, that was the single off that album, but it was not very good. The, the um, live clip, which I think was the video clip that I just had a quick look at this morning, it looked like... Motley Crue were doing a piss take of Spinal Tap. <laughs> Is that the way it was, or was it the other way round? No, Spinal Tap hadn't come out yet. Like that's what it's like. <laughs> that's great. I, I told you I saw the the film, the movie that's based on. I think it's Tommy Lee's book. It's hilarious. Oh, really? Is a film? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, wow. it's, it's hilarious to watch. Wow. He's totally. Yeah. We'll have to give a link for that. I need to see that. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, um, Once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. Though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I think Tommy Lee's funny. I read the, the book in Motley Crue's sort of um, biography. It was really interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Disgusting, you know, <laughs> really disgusting. Yeah, so they, they turned that book into a... Oh, into yeah. A yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the Dirt, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jack also mentioned Diorama, which I mean, it wasn't my first because it was that was two thousand and two. But oh man, that is an epic album, and um, you know just the way Silverchair just completely reinvented themselves. Well, Daniel Johns reinvented Silverchair at that point. It was just absolutely an, an epic. Like I can't pick a song out as we we talked on the on the Facebook thing. I can't pick a song out of it. Every song is like this big sonic thing, kind of like in some ways. Maybe it's going a bit too far to mention this, but. Um, Dark Side of the Moon is just one big song, right? You know, it's just a concept album. Mm-hmm. You have to listen to the whole thing. Diorama's a bit like that. It's just one big album with just songs flowing into each other. I don't know if you've heard that, that album, guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah it's the only Silverchair album I've never heard. Yeah, yeah. And you still have it. And you mentioned it a couple of times. I need to go listen to it. You do. You definitely do. I definitely need to revisit it. I, I have heard it, um, but not for a very long time. So I'm going to put some headphones on and go on the journey. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also mentioned that he got, I was about to say, mentioned that he got like morning glory for his third birthday. Oh. <laughs> who gives, the, who oh, gives yes. someone for their third birthday an Oasis CD? Awesome. And I'm thinking, it's a parent. I, I mean, firstly, I sort of went, I feel really old right now. <laughs> yeah. That you, got, you got given that for your third birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, I feel old too. Great album. A diorama. <laughs> a diorama and, um, and what was the other one that they did? Uh, young Modern. I, you know, I was listening to those when my kids were, uh, well, not very young, not very old, probably only about five or six or something. And I was, and I got my kids into that. And so, yeah, I, that was my kids' albums they first listened to, to some extent. <laughs> Um, so the other, other one, Belinda mentioned um, Prince's Diamonds and Pearls, and um, it was kind of like that was the the second Prince sort of album I got into. I think you know it was you know Purple Rain was was amazing and and everything about that was fantastic, and then uh, it came out with Diamonds and Pearls, and it just had some incredible standout tracks like Cream. You know, it was one of my favourite Prince songs of all time. Whenever anybody asks for a sexy song to play somewhere, I say Cream. 
you know, because it's just freaking beautiful. And uh, yeah, I, I love Prince, but um, there's there's probably a lot of albums that I don't love of Prince's, but that is one that is incredible. And it was, what was that, 1991? There we go, 1991 again. But um, I know, Jules, you're into Prince, but Pete, you don't exactly have the love. I got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. Mind. You're wrong. Yeah. I'm <laughs> time where we try to convince Pete about Prince. You strap me down like Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Watch this film clip. <laughs> Could be worse. So I, this whole experience, this adventure into asking people what their first albums were has just been so much fun and so much nostalgia. And when I was looking at it, I was like a bit sort of overwhelmed for choices to even where to start. But the thing that stood out to me was how many people's first album was one of the various artists, sort of, you know, best of of the year type um, albums. And this resonated a lot for me because even though I've spoken in a, in a previous episode about how my first album itself was Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual on vinyl for my ninth birthday and then I got the same album on tape for my tenth birthday. But in the meantime, though, and actually even just prior to that, my sister, who's only a year and a half older than me, got her first album for Christmas. Um, and it was Chartbusters 84. And it was a, um, this glorious, like it was Chartbusters because that was the year that Ghostbusters came out. And so Ghostbusters was <laughs> also had Dancing in the Dark and Careless Whisper and Agadoo. Do you remember Agadoo? Like, yeah. Agadoo. That's right. I'm sure you remember the choreography, Pete. Um, it was kind of like the Gangnam style and Macarena of its day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and about as earwormy and slightly annoying. Um, and the, I guess the, the punchline of the whole fact that Chartbusters 84 was kind of my gateway into popular music as a child is that sometime later I read the fine print on that album and it was an album, it was an LP, um, a double album even. Um, not original artists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so all of my first impressions of these songs were by, I still, I did a little bit of digging to try to find out whether it was, was it just a one cover band that did the whole thing, but it doesn't seem like it was. It looks like it was still various artists, just not the original artists. <laughs> was that like a table thing? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, so, you know, you get around it, you get around, you, you basically sell an album and get around having to pay the royalties to the artist by getting some other people just to come in and do them. randoms to sing it, which is just hilarious. You're even more tragic than I thought. Sorry? You're even more tragic than I thought. Oh, so, so, so tragic. And so, you know, it's definitely uh, formed. My, you, know, you wonder why I've been singing cover bands for a It's just like. <laughs> I was bred on cover bands, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, so that's, a, yeah, uh, Chartbusters 84. But, yeah, of the ones that people have contributed, there was such a such a good list. There's 1982 with a bullet, Pete, that was you, Chris. and There's a few people. With a bullet, Hitwave 82, Shoes 1985, which Libby and Pete yeah. spoke about. Um, Summer 87, which Candace put on our radar. I had Summer 87. I loved Summer I had it 87. Too. Um, and as Candace said, she wore that tape to death. I I believe my Summer 87 was actually on 
vinyl, but then I very quickly taped it onto cassette tape so that I could play it on my red ghetto blaster that I got from East Burwood Kmart for my 10th birthday, along with the Cindy Lauper tape. Um, and yeah, so Summer 87 had like Walk This Way and uh, Danger Zone and a, a Matter of Trust by Billy Joel. Like this is the thing, it's like this, you know, for those of us who have a fairly eclectic palette when it comes to music, I think that we could probably, we probably have the various artists' albums of our youth and Take 40 Australia to to thank for that because if you're anything like me, it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, I like this. Oh, yeah, I like this. And and I was thinking about it later and it's like, so um, Summer 87 also had uh, You Give Love a Bad Name on it and I think that was probably my gateway to Bon Jovi. Um, but it also had The Cure's Queen Days on it. But it took me several years hence to actually get cool enough to start listening to any other cure so that was so yeah that was a I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to the cure even though you know I was introduced at a young age but um yeah some of the the compilation cds that people mentioned were just brilliant the um so, so you can yeah go sorry, sorry. no no you go no you go um, Erica she hooked on classics, which I thought, oh, okay, I was, I was expecting, like, classic rock. So I was like, I, I went and looked up the track list thinking I was going to be like Florida and, you know, Fall and Oats and whatever. And no, it's um, like classics as in the Hallelujah Chorus and the William Tell Overture and the Flight of the Bumblebee. <laughs> I was like... But is that, was that the one where they, they did it with, like, a modern beat or something? They had, they, had something a, else. they did. They had a beat sort of running under it, and and they would go yeah. in and out of the, the medley of all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's like a mix played by the London Philharmonic or Philadelphia Philharmonic right. or something like that. And and they yeah they they weaved it through a beat and that sort of thing. And so and they even put some Beatles in there and all sorts of stuff. And it was yeah. And I Erica, you know, I was married to Erica for. 30, 20 something years she when we first met she was still into that and that was like we, I don't know when we met but it was like late 80s she was still fully into that and that still sticks to my head these days because she infected me <laughs> <laughs> and there was a whole series of those ones wasn't there like Hooked on Swing yep. and Hooked on Hooked on Hooked on became this big thing that was milked they were capitalising <laughs> yes that was yeah, and and so they were kind of like mega mixes. Yeah, yeah. It was really good though. I mean, you know, for for someone who was not into classics at all, it got all those little sound bites of those great classic music. And I, you know, I would never listen to the whole thing myself, but they were great. It was really well done. Yeah, awesome. I love that for a bit of diversity in the um the various artist albums. And the other one that I really liked was Maria mentioned um Open Space, the chill out compilation. And um, and that and she had this beautiful quote that she said, uh, the first CD she remembered owning is Open Space, compilation of chill tracks when I was 14. It was a soundtrack to practicing the kissing of my then crush on my hand. Um, and that, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, I don't know that album. I'll go and I'll look up the, the track. And it's, um, it's like Daydream in Blue by Eye Monster, Porcelain by Moby, um, Sadness by Enigma, that kind of thing. And I went... I do know this album, and we actually used to have it um, on very high rotation in a bar that I used to work at in the, in the I think, early 2000s. And so, yeah, so it was actually like, oh, wow, okay. That's like that, that compilation CD is, is in there, you know, somewhere in my, in my, um, my memory. And this is like these, these various artist albums were so formative and for so many people, and it's been such a hoot, even going back and looking at the covers and the track lists and everything. Um, and the the mixtape mayhem that got wielded <laughs> at the time between the 
the various artists' albums and the the um, you know Take Forty Australia on the on the Ghetto Blaster. These are the, the colours and the sounds of my youth. <laughs> so thank you everybody who contributed on that front. What about you, Pete? Um, it, it really interesting. I, again, the observation, the anthropological side of me wanting to um, observe observe patterns of behaviour here, and so a lot of the you know there was a lot of what people mentioned like so a lot of people mentioned like um, albums like by artists, right? So there was um, Melissa mentioned um, Off the Wall, which is uh, Michael Jackson, and then I think Erin mentioned M- Michael Jackson Thriller, and and uh, his name piano man uh, billy joel <laughs> billy joel's innocent man um and i think kim mentioned i know i've got it here kim mentioned um seven and the ragged tiger by duran duran and so the thing is i have a memory those albums are sort of in my consciousness even though that i didn't necessarily listen to them thriller of course was one i think everyone owned thriller and it's like everyone i knew had thriller um and we had it i mean i my my mum would have. My mum would have bought it. She was the one that bought records, right? Um, and that 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 whole thing. And I think it goes hand in hand with the various artists thing. And that's why such a varied. Um, I, I I do explain the various artists' albums and and the fact that everyone around me were buying all these albums and they were in my and I was listening to them whether I liked them or not. I heard them and so like Duran Duran, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, for example. Like, I didn't really get into Duran Duran at the time. They were like a boy band. All the girls loved them, all, like all the women around in my, you know, my, my sphere. And they were just, was just, whatever, man, you know, like a boy band or something. But later years, like, it wasn't that much after. It was maybe, you know, early 90s that I was like, actually, these guys are really good. Even though there's this cheesy boy band, pop band thing, mm. like, they're actually really, really, and they are really good. Uh, that album, the only thing I know off that album is Union of the Snake, which is a great track. It's, it, I love that track. Um, the Union of the Snake. I shouldn't sing. Yeah, you but um, anyway, it's, 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 but it's a thing. It's, you know, it, it was a thing. But also, you know what I really loved? I think the marketing of music was different back in those days. And, and that's why it was interesting when Kim then went and said about, oh, yeah, no, I went and also saw real life show up in Brashes. It reminded me of the time that bands would actually go and do gigs at shopping centers. <laughs> I never went to those. <laughs> but I, it was such a thing, right? And I suspect, Jules Sutherland, you probably <laughs> have some tales to tell about shopping center concerts. Well, weirdly <laughs> enough, I don't think I ever saw a band in a shopping center. However, I did perform on stage at various shopping centre talent quests <laughs> where there, it was like literally you'd, you'd go along with your backing tape that you bought from brushes and um, and you'd stand up and, and do your best to keep up with the kids from the Johnny Young Talent School and, uh, and, and I did that well past when I was old enough to know better so yeah. <laughs> There weren't video cameras on phones in those days is all I could say. But, um, yeah, and my very first Sever Talent Quest was in the window of the Allen's Music Store on Burke Street. <laughs> like, it wasn't even a stage. It was just like, oh. okay, go and stand there in the window and entertain the street. Oh. And you were 25 or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so funny. Imagine that, getting a little... older than 23. <laughs> Imagine getting little kids to sing in the in the front window of your store. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't you're know. talking about child exploitation. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I've, there's, I've got some video of um, the, band, the school band that I eventually joined. But just before I joined the school band, I was doing videoing of the school band. And they were playing on the stage at Eastland. And, and and I'm videoing and I'm like thinking, I'll make this a bit countdown here. And I started just zooming in and out and zooming in and out. <laughs> Turning the camera on. <laughs> so we've got video footage of the, the school band that I eventually joined on the stage at East End from up on the balcony on one of the walkways going around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gonzo journalism at its best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> But there was also the time of soundtrack. So, like, um, Paloma mentioned, like, the Footloose soundtrack, and then this whole conversation went on about all these amazing sort of music-based movies, like, what did she say? Erin uh, like, Grease and Footloose, well, Footloose, um, and Saturday Night Fever and Dirty Dancing and whatnot. And I, honestly, I actually do remember those movies, and I do remember the soundtracks. And I, we see, we had Footloose, and the only... I never listened to it. I can only tell you that Footloose... I know the song because it was huge. Teddy right? Loggins. But I never saw the movie. I never saw the movie. And Flashdance. Remember Flashdance? That was huge. And that was actually about stripping, right? I've never seen the movie. Yeah. And so no wonder my parents didn't want me to see it. That's the only thing I could think of. Well, Saturday Night Fever, maybe, maybe Saturday Night Fever, you know, that, that was like, a, my parents wouldn't let me see that film because it was all about um, suicide and stuff. Yeah, but Saturday yeah. Night Fever, so it. yeah, it, it's pretty, I think somebody said in your in your thread, Pete, that, that yes, P.S. Saturday Night Fever is pretty shite, and it, and it is, the movie is, but it's, oh. it doesn't bear anything compared to how shite the, um, the stage musical is that they made of it. Oh. So I used to oh. work in front of house in London at the at the theatre that was staging Saturday oh. Night Fever. It's like it's basically it's one of those jukebox musicals where they just grabbed a whole bunch of, of um, uh, BG's music and tenuously linked it together with a shitty story that's loosely based on the movie of Saturday Night Fever. But I guess so, they didn't show much of the, the the suicide sections. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it, I had no idea. It, wasn't that deep. it was pretty full on. There was like abortion and and um, rape and all this sort of stuff, and and it was really dark film. But, um, yeah. Oh my god, I need to go see this film yeah. now. Yeah. It's not the feel good family. No, not at all. It's, okay. I actually, when I did finally see it, I actually kind of went, wow, this is. I mean, I don't know, it was a long time ago, but it was it was pretty entertaining film, being that it was tackling some pretty tricky subjects. But the bloody album, the music was like legendary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I did see Xanadu, though. Oh god, and, that's uh, such a bad film. That's... <laughs> I know, but it's Jeff Lynne and ELO yeah. do the soundtrack. Yeah. It is the best soundtrack if you love Jeff Lynne and ELO. The Gene Kelly hating life. Well, yeah, I don't remember those bits. I do just remember Olivia Newton-John in wispy dresses roller skating around. That's all I remember. So bad. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I think it was Gene Kelly's last film, and he is really looking like he really didn't want to be there. And, <laughs> and you know, it's just a really bad dialogue. It's so bad. Yeah. I, I watched it at work for this bad movie night, and it was like, you can't say that, that's <laughs> And I watched it with this context of, oh, this is one of the worst films ever made, and you're like, oh, it really is. Actually, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's also wonderful. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody, that's, yes. uh, that contributed. It's just it's just been such a, a wild ride. Okay, so it's time for our first time episode. It's time for a Get Quizzy With It on the subject of... <laughs> Our first albums and the contents thereof. 
So... I got my buzzer. <laughs> Sorry? I've got oh, my got buzzer. buzzer. Nice work. About you, Darren. There we go. All right. All right. <laughs> say, you have to say buzz very loudly. All right. So, true or false? Tony Basil's Mickey, which featured on the 1982 with a bullet, was originally recorded by another artist under the title Kitty in 1979. True or false? It sounds too good to be true, to be not be true. <laughs> I'm saying it's true. Get out. Have a guess? I don't know. I'm saying is it's it, true. You say true? I'm going to say it's true because that sounds weird. Mm. Okay, it is true. Mm. Uh, That's the song bizarre. It performed by the pop group Racy with oh. the title Kitty, and it was included on their debut studio album Smash and Grab in 1979. The original Racy song didn't include the, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blah, blah, blah. That, that bit um, Tony Basil added. Oh. And the rumour was that the reason why Tony Basil changed it to Mickey was because. Um, she had a crush on uh, Mickey Dolphins. Good mind. Oh. And uh, she's denied that, but anyway, that's a great one. Whose Greatest Hits album featured the tracks Everyone's a Winner and You Sexy Bitch? Hot yep. Chocolate. That's correct. And that was... Uh, given to us by Shay, where that was that was Shay's yeah, first album, cool. and uh, Hot Chocolate's greatest hits, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. First album, I'd say. Uh, I, I heard um, I heard that um, everyone's a winner, baby, uh, at Burning Sea, the festival, and that was from over the other side of the park. And it was in the morning; we're all hungover, and we're having a bit of a meeting about what we're going to do that night. And someone was playing it like at half speed, and it's like, <laughs> and we all just went. <laughs> And it was, it was just this morning funk, but at half speed, and it was brilliant. I believe in miracles. Nice. Ah, oh, festivals come back to me. All right. I. You Give Love a Bad Name, which featured on Summer 87, was a single from which Bon Jovi album? Slippery When Wet. Ah, okay. Yeah, you jumped in. I was going to give you multiple choice, but it wasn't you. <laughs> Correct. It was Slippery When Wet. In 2006, the Knack sued which well-known hip-hop group for allegedly sampling their riff from My Sharona? Run DMC? Hip-hop yes. group? Ooh, it was Run DMC, correct? Oh, did we guess? Yeah, um, so in 2006, uh, the NAC sued Run DMC for copyright infringement. The lawsuit alleges that the defining guitar riff from My Sharona was used without permission on the Run DMC track, It's Tricky. Um, from their Raising Hell album. And um, the NAC, the, this is the NAC, um, or Get the NAC, sorry, was the... Um, was Bill's first album. He contributed that for us and he said it was absolutely terrible with the exception of My Sharona and he regrets nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which famous horror film actor voiced the spoken word section of Michael Jackson's Vincent thriller? Vincent Price. That's right. It was Vincent And I can say the whole thing. <laughs> can, you, can you? Yeah, I'm not, not going to do it, but I can do it. <laughs> Darkness across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. <laughs> Creatures crawl in search of blood. To terrorise your neighbourhood. Right. I always... I thought we were keeping this snappy. <laughs> <of neighborhood. laughs> 
Debbie, what does it think, Jules? <laughs> to terrorize Jules. <laughs> the TV show. <laughs> um, okay, sing the next line. And I'm never gonna dance again. Guilty, Guilty I've got no Oh god, now I've lost it. Though it's easy to pretend, I know you're not a fool. Should have known better than to cheat a friend. The wasted chance that I've been given. So I'm never gonna dance again the way I dance with you. I love that song. Not I love that song too. That was one of the ones that I only heard George Michael's version of sometime later because it was on chart. But... <laughs> Sing the next line. If you get caught between the moon and New York City. Oh, I know it's crazy. Mr. Moon and New York City. Best that you can do. Best that you can do. He's falling in love. <laughs> Christopher Cross, was it? That was beautiful, yes. Yeah. That was Christopher Cross. That was on Hitwave 82, and it was originally Arthur's written theme. by. Yeah, it's Arthur's theme. Uh, was written by Bert Backrack. Right. All right. Last line. Sing the next line. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Ghost! Chuckbusters! Okay. <laughs> if there's something weird. And it don't look good. Ow! Who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters! Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> 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 Ray Parker, <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Nope. So, well, we ain't afraid of no ghosts of childhood albums past. Thank you so much for joining us <laughs> on this hilarious and rollicking ride. Um, special thanks to everybody who contributed your stories and memories. It's just been such a delight. <laughs> so this has been an absolute hoot. Thank you, everybody, who has contributed to our episode today. Hope you enjoyed the show. You, uh, please feel free to subscribe to the YouTube channel of which you are now watching and leave your comments um, maybe about what, whatever uh, first album you had or any funny memories that that dredged up out of nowhere. Um, and also, we uh, please also jump onto the Facebook Hits and Giggles page or join the Facebook Hits and Gigglers group and share whatever magical memories you might have. Yeah, and don't forget that we've got a new episode going up every Monday, either either a full Hits and Giggles episode, which this is, or a What's Rockin' Your World, where we have a chat about all the various music and pop culture that we've been enjoying recently. So we look forward to having you join us again. Thanking Daryl Cherry Pop by ZZ Top Mumpin. Thanking Peter. My first time is on tape, cassette tape, Lupellas. And I'm Jules Barry Thistle, wet my whistle, Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time for more Hits and Jules.